0: the year was 1999. Remember that? (laughs) About this time of year, and you remember what everyone was worried about? Y2K. It was a big deal, wasn't it? Um, I, I remember that Priscilla and I, we didn't do a whole lot, but we made some preparations. I remember we got water jugs and filled them and put them downstairs in the basement. And a year later, we emptied them out. (laughs) We did a few other things, but not not significant things. But, you know, there was that great fear that that millennial bug was really going to zap the world. It would crash our computers and bring life as we knew it to an absolute halt. Well, Steve Watson was one of those, those guys. He was a 45-year-old computer systems um, analyst from Oklahoma. Uh, and he was convinced that when the clock struck midnight, 2000, it would unleash a disaster of, of epic proportions. And so Steve predicted that the electricity grid would absolutely die, that you and I would have no power... Um, That communication networks would fail and and families wouldn't be able to use telephone service or anything, let alone cell phones. Um, Financial markets would crash. Banks would close. Planes and trains would just stop wherever they were and fall. And you didn't want to be riding transportation, period. And the entire world would just be engulfed in panic. Looting, riots, and all that kind of stuff. And so Steve decided that he was going to build a bunker for his family. And so that's what he did. He, he built a bunker. And in that bunker uh, for his family, he had stockpiles of food. Um, he had medicine for a good year down there stockpiled up for his family. Um, he had his own power and water supply. Um, even though he had never, ever owned guns in his life, He had gone out, he had several guns, he had assault rifles, he had ammunition. He was stockpiled, he was ready for whatever came. Uh, If looters were going to come to his bunker, he was going to take care of that problem. Um, So he was really ready. And then he learned a whole bunch of new skills, living off the land skills and and all of those kind of things. He'd invested a lot of time getting ready for Y2K. Well, you and I wait... Or we're supposed to wait for something that is even more sure than what they thought Y2K was. And of something that is even more significant and of greater proportion and importance than what Y2K could have been. We are waiting for the second return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the big question for us is, are we going to be ready for that? Now, you and I have just celebrated Christmas and um, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior. But Christians don't simply believe in one coming, in one advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that there are two advents, two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ, Traditionally, and this is something that a lot of times we don't realize, but traditionally, recognizing the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was part of Advent. If, if you belong down through the ages, way back before the Protestant Reformation and on through up, almost up until World War II, it was just common that every church celebrated on the second Sunday of Advent, the second coming. That was part of of thinking about Christ coming the first time as recognizing he's coming again. Most of our hymns, maybe not most, but many of our hymns, if if you went through our hymn book, you would be surprised how many of the last verse of the hymns talk about the second coming in the very last verse. That was... So common in the church up until recent years that if if you were going to pray, if you were going to sing, if you were going to do something, you, you just knew that part of your faith, a big part of your faith was the second coming. Now, quite honestly, we don't make enough of it today. It's been quite a while since I've even preached on the second coming. But it is a very common thing that you and I should be aware of. It's even in our Christmas carols. Several of our Christmas carols, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that came upon the midnight clear, Joy to the World, O Holy Night, and especially Angels from the Realms of Glory, the last verse, or one of the verses in there, have to do with the fact that not only has Jesus come, but he's coming again. It's good news. Listen to the words here from angels from the realms of glory. The last verse, saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear, suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. That's not about Christmas. That's about the fact that Jesus is coming back again. And friends, I want you to know, because our world basically has told us, Well, you don't have to worry about that. And it's kind of been pushed off to the sidelines of theological discussion today and and preaching and all of that. I want you to know from the time of Jesus on, up until about World War II, the second coming was a major theme of the church. And I want to stand before you today and I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, you need to believe in the second coming. Don't write it off. Don't ignore it. It's part of God's word. And everything that's in God's word always comes to pass. For centuries, the prophet said, Jesus the Messiah is coming. And they waited century after century and the the expectation grew. And Jesus came. We cannot be, we cannot afford To be among the people who have fallen asleep. Thinking that there's only one coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again and it's a sure thing and we need to be ready for it. Jesus says it very clearly. It's all throughout the scriptures. But Jesus says it in a passage where we've almost forgot that he said it in. John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come back and take you with me, to be with me, that I may be, that you may be where I am. Do you remember... After Jesus was crucified, dead, resurrected. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And as he was ascending into heaven, the people were standing around, the disciples were standing around, they were watching him go up. And they, you know, they were starting to their their necks were starting to get (laughs) sore sore from watching Jesus lift up into the clouds. And two angels appeared. And And they said to them, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? (laughs) What are you doing? That same Jesus, Who has been taken from you into heaven, Will do what? He will come back, In the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's interesting, In the very first coming, Jesus came as a baby. And he came as a suffering servant who suffered on the cross for our sins in order that he might save us. But he's coming a second time and that time is going to be very, very different. Because he's not coming as a baby born in a manger. But he's coming as a king. And he's coming as a conquering king who will judge the wickedness of the world. He's going to come as a conquering, judging Messiah. I want you to hear these words from Matthew. And there's, there's all kinds of different scriptures I could have used this morning. And, and I, I chose this passage. Um, though I'm not preaching specifically from it, I'm going to try to do more of a topical um, approach to dealing with the second coming this morning. But Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the night what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. There are two main reasons why people doubt the second coming. One of them, Second Peter chapter 3, tells us about very, at the very beginning. Peter says, warns that scoffers will say that Jesus isn't coming back because he hasn't come for so long. And they were already saying that. And this had only been like 30 years uh, since Jesus ascended into heaven. And scoffers were already saying at that point, And Peter writes it in, in his epistle. He says scoffers are saying that Jesus is not coming back. Because it's been 30 years. And he hasn't come back. And now it's been 2,000 years. And there's people doing what? They're saying, well, he's not coming back. But 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says there's a reason for that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. The reason God is so patient The reason God holds off, the reason God didn't come a long time ago in the second coming is because he wanted you and I to come to faith. And you've got relatives and neighbors and people that you work with. And you've got relatives. And there's all kinds of contacts that you have in your life. And God cares about them. And he wants them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he waits. He puts it off. But there is coming a day when he will draw the line and say, No more. I'm coming. Second Peter goes on to remind us of the high cost of doubting God's word. And he illustrates that uh, as Jesus did up here in this passage from Matthew uh, with Noah and some other illustrations where people said, you know, there's no big flood coming. We've never even seen rain. But when God says something is coming, it's coming, and you can count on it. The second reason why people doubt the second coming, and and it, why we have become kind of quiet to that, is because liberal theologians about World War II took over our mainline seminaries. About the time of World War Two, and and you know we'd been through World War One, and, and and there were people who thought after World War One, uh, in theological circles, that wow, this ought to take care of any desire to ever be in a world war again. And so they thought they were going to build this great utopia, and then World War II came along, and it was even worse, and and they couldn't imagine that anything could get worse. and and now we've started the United Nations and we've got this going and that going and man is going to build this great utopia all by ourselves and it's going to be the greatest thing and Jesus won't even need to come back because we are going to build this great millennial kingdom all by ourselves and isn't that working out great? Don't you wish man could fix the world? (laughs) Just looking at the Old Testament and watching God's people try to fix the world is a disaster. But liberal theologians, they thought, man... What need do we have of God coming back in a second coming? And so they just kind of poo-hooed the whole idea and threw it out of church doctrine and took it out of the second Sunday of Advent and all that kind of stuff and then trained all of our pastors and seminaries that Jesus isn't coming back and all that kind of nonsense and garbage that they taught. And so pretty much the second coming has been dwindled down and it's not emphasized in the church. And I want to tell you it doesn't matter what any theologian says matters well, is what God says. And God says, Jesus is coming back again. And you and I need to be ready. Because Jesus is coming back. Now, I want you to take that yellow sheet. And I, I haven't figured out how I'm going to do this. I, <laughs> I've tried to figure this out a number of ways. As you look at... As you look at the second coming, there are really two different aspects of it. One is the rapture, and one is what is properly called the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, there's a number of different scriptures, and one of the difficult things about it for not just you, but for me... Is always trying to figure out, okay, is this scripture talking about the rapture or is it talking about the second coming and back and forth? And there are some scriptures that fit nicely into one and some others that fit nicely into the others, and some we just don't know. And then one of the other interesting things is, is these, you know, God, as God inspired these writers they would drift from one to the other. Even Jesus in the passage in Matthew goes from talking about the second coming to talking about the rapture. And Peter does the same thing and Paul does the same thing. And so I, I'm gonna try, I, I decided I had to make a sheet just so that you had something to take home. And if you wanted to work on this, you could kind of sort through that. I'm not going to read all the scriptures on here. But I think I'm going to just talk about the rapture. For I was going to just compare them across the line. But you can do that on your own. And I just want to talk to you about the difference between the rapture and the second coming. And there, there are some believers out there who believe that they are one event. Um, and, and you can take some scriptures and make that work. And, and there are some scriptures that would seem to lean towards that. But there's a vast majority of scriptures that... That I think would teach that there are two events, one the rapture and one the second coming. So the rapture comes um, before the second coming. And if you look in your Bibles, primarily the rapture is spoken about in the New Testament epistles. As we go through the rest of it, that will make sense that after Jesus ascended into heaven, the church started teaching about the rapture because that's what you and I really want to know about. As Christians, as believers in Jesus, um, what we need to be ready for is the rapture. Jesus is coming back and he's going to take us to go home with him. And then depending on when you believe the second coming comes, whether it comes in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation, uh, will determine all of that. And I'm not going to try to uh, persuade you one way or the other on all of that. Um, The church anticipates. We look forward to the rapture. That is when Jesus comes back in the clouds of glory and he meets us in the air. Um, for, his, for his saints. And really, believers are the only ones to see him. And Jesus talks about two men will be in a field, and all of a sudden one is gone, and one's left there. And uh, two women in the kitchen working, and, and all of a sudden one is gone. That's, that's a reference there to the, to the rapture, uh, where we are just taken up. And lifted out of this earth and we meet Jesus and it's silent, it's sudden, it just happens without any real warning. Um, And Jesus says, no man knows the time or the hour. We have no way of really knowing that. We We can study the events of the world and if you look at the news, it just seems to get worse and worse each and every day. And you cannot help but listen to the news and recognize that we are moving towards the end time at a greater pace than we ever have in the past. And if there's ever a time when the church needs this message of the the rapture and the second coming, we need to be well aware of it today. There's also not much for preceding signs. Most of the signs... Uh, that you find in Matthew, that you find in the Old Testament, that you find uh, even in the apostles, epistles, uh, the letters that you know, Paul and Peter and John wrote primarily, most of them refer to the events leading up to the second coming and to the events of the tribulation. Um, but you and I can see signs already, how things are happening in our world. You just even, even simple things like weather patterns tornadoes and hurricanes in this time of year that we've never had in places that are happening this week and and, you know the meteorologists trying to figure out what's going on here we're not supposed to have those at this time of year (laughs) those kind of things and then the rapture is when you and I we meet Jesus and before you and I if, if Jesus comes today when we get lifted up before that happens, the dead in Christ shall rise. Now, um, just a quick side note, I'd better not get too far off. But we believe um, in two things that seem contradictory. <laughs> but we believe that the dead in Christ, they are consciously with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's numbers of scriptures that support that. It is their spirit that has gone to be with Jesus. But we bury the body. We bury the soul. The spirit is alive with Jesus. But in the second coming, when Jesus comes back from the clouds of glory, the soul and the body is brought up to meet together. And you and I go up and The dead in Christ meet Christ first, and then we join them, and Jesus takes us home to heaven while, if you're a pre-trib person, while the tribulation happens. Or halfway through it. Or maybe we've gone through all of it. I don't know. But anyway, um, those things happen. Now, the great thing about this is that it is at that time that I am looking forward to this. At that time, we get our incorruptible bodies. Incorruptible. Means they can't be hurt. I can have car accidents. (laughs) And not get hurt after this point. (laughs) Not that there's going to be car accidents in heaven. But... I am really looking forward to that. I, I've had a week where my legs, I have, they haven't hurt for months, but I'm having a really hard time with my legs again this week. And I'm just thinking, oh yeah, the rapture's coming. <laughs> you know? um, there's things like aging that you deal with and it's all going to be gone. You're going to have incorruptible bodies. No disease. No pain. No aging. No weight issues. All those things in life that you and I deal with, at that point in the rapture, you and I get incorruptible. You can't hurt those bodies. (laughs) Won't that be great? Some of you can really relate to that. And then there is the judgment of works. Now, because we are believers, if God has collected us up into the skies, he's not judging us as to whether we have accepted Christ or not. We have. So the judgment is just simply one of works. It's not one of salvation. It's one of, what have I done with my talents? With the gifts that God gave me, what have I done with those? And I will be judged, and there will be a reward For what I have done with my gifts and my talents and and the way that God made me. And that happens um, at the rapture. And then after that happens, if you're a pre-trib person, that is when the tribulation starts here on earth and all of those events. Um, Now, I wanted to go to the other side now and just talk about the second coming because we... I want us to have a general idea of that whole scheme and and what the scripture is talking about there also. The second coming mostly is something that Israel looks forward to. God's people Israel. And it is almost consistently, uh, the rapture is a New Testament concept, of course, because the church hasn't been born. Believers haven't been born. So when you look at Old Testament prophecy that deals with the end times of the second coming, it's always in reference to the second coming. Because Israel as a nation is struggling. And when they think about the second coming, they think about this conquering king who is going to deliver Israel. And God will deliver Israel in the second coming. And so it is... Old Testament, And so anytime you're in the Old Testament, you see something that looks like old end times. It's in reference not to the rapture, but it is in reference to the second coming. But also the Gospels, almost all, you see Jesus make some exceptions like in the passage today where he talks about the rapture briefly. But almost all of the Gospels is in reference to the second coming also because at that point the church has not yet been born also. And Jesus is talking to Israelites most of the time when he's talking. And so it is Israel that looks forward, not to the rapture, because most of them have not come to know Christ. Now, any Jew that has come to know Christ is now part of the church. And so if they have come to know Christ, when Jesus comes in the rapture, they will be taken up with all of us also. But in the second coming, Jesus comes back. We've all been lifted up and we are in heaven and we come back down along with all of God's angels. Um, we come back to the earth um, with saints and with the angels. And I want, I've got the passages marked out there, but it's very clear that the angels come back in the second coming. Um, Can you imagine what that would be like for the world to see (laughs) down here in, in all of the chaos and everything else? And yet what they see is the horror of this great conquering king. And they recognize just how sinful and wicked they have been. And this one here is different from the rapture in that everyone sees it, the whole world, on all sides of the globe. They see Jesus coming again. And it's loud. There are trumpet blasts. And it's glorious and it's magnificent. And the whole world sees Jesus coming back. And it's at the end of the tribulation after all the suffering and all the the horrible things that have happened on the face of the earth. And as you and I have studied Revelation from time to time and read through it, we think, man, we don't want to live through that. That's how come we like being (laughs) pre-trib. We just don't want to live there. We don't want to live through that. But you know what? After everything they have been through in the tribulation, they are more scared of the second coming. When they say Jesus coming down out of the cloud, that puts more fear in them than all the things they've been through. That should say to us how holy our God is. How awesome and power our God is that even after all the events of Revelation, people are no longer scared of that. It's kind of like me. I'm not scared of car accidents, I'm just scared of the pain. <laughs> I can go have another car accident, <laughs> but, but I don't want to deal with any more pain, you know? And in that time, these people aren't scared of any more events, but they are scared of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. The panic that sweeps over in in the second coming is, is just amazing. And it happens at the end of the tribulation. And there's all these preceding signs. And yet Christians have been what? They've been lifted out of the world. And so you see how the tribulation really ramps up. If all of your influence... And all of the good that Christians have done on the face of the earth and are doing today is suddenly, you know, it evaporates and it's gone. And there is no longer any good, righteous presence on the face of the earth. Just imagine what the world would be like. Just imagine what it would be like in McKinsey County to live here if every Christian was gone. Would not be a fun place to live. And for seven years, that's the way the world lives, if you're pre-trib or mid-trib for three and a half years or whatever it might be. But um, that is the world in which these people are living. And so there's, there's all these signs. And, and instead of meeting in the air, Jesus comes down and he descends into the Mount of Olives. He goes to the temple. <clears throat> On the temple mound that has been desecrated by the Antichrist. And Jesus takes his place at the temple. And instead of you and I receiving incorruptible bodies like we got when we went up in the rapture. For those that are left who have not come to know Jesus. There is absolute destruction on the earth. Everything is destroyed with, it says, everlasting destruction. The people, the world, everything is burned up in in a way that even an atomic bomb can't destroy. God comes in such mighty power in the second coming that, that we have no words to describe it. We have no experience to describe it. And then there is judgment. But it's not a judgment of works. It is a judgment for not knowing God and not obeying the gospel that is cast on the world and they are judged for that. Friends, I want to tell you, it's very important that you do those two things. You need to know God and you know him through the Lord Jesus Christ and you obey the gospel obey the gospel in the second coming the world is judged for not knowing God because they could have and for not obeying the gospel and then at that point instead of beginning the tribulation after all of the the earth has been destroyed and God sets up a new heaven and a new earth and it starts the millennial reign of Christ. And there's only one passage in all the scripture, Revelation uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, that talks about that millennial reign, that thousand-year reign of Christ in which Satan is chained and locked up. And, and we get to see what life would be with only Christians and Jesus Christ reigning as our king. And we see that for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released to do a little bit of damage. And then he meets his final judgment and all of that. Now, that is a very quick overview of everything the scripture has to say. And again, I didn't read all of these scriptures, but I I marked them out as best I could and as best I understand it all for you. That's a quick overview of what Jesus says is coming, and what the Old Testament and what the New Testament epistles say is coming at the end of the world. The important thing is found in Second Peter chapter um, three, where Jesus says the the thing for you and I is that we need to have our eyes open. And friends, if there was ever a day where you and I need to have our eyes open, it is today. We need to be on guard. We need to be watching. We need to be praying until the day of the Lord. We need to live holy and godly lives. And Peter says to us that when Jesus comes back in the rapture, his prayer for you and his prayer for me is that we would be found spotless, blameless, And listen to this, at peace with Jesus. Let me ask you this, if Jesus came back today, would you be at peace? Would there be any concerns you would have if Jesus came back today? You need to take care of that. You need to be at peace. Jesus came the first time as the Prince of Peace so that you and I could have a relationship that was at peace with him. That Jesus could be anywhere with us, do anything with us, and we would be at peace. When he comes back the second time, Peter's command for us is make sure when he comes back, we are at peace.